If you're doing a classification, let's say a multi-label classification of clustering, is going from 12 cluster to 18 what mattered? Or to go from 9 to 6 what mattered? So when going through the interview process on the technology side is, can you think about what is the substance of the underlying technique you are using? And can you think about the implications that the data set has inherently on the problem you have? If you're not able to do those, then you might be a programmer, but you're not a data scientist. Because uh, as Jean Belanger is found to say, it's called data science, not science data, and what have you. There is the data part. You have to understand ETLs and you know, joining and cleaning and nulls and longitudinal data, data and continuous data. And if you've got continuous data and categorical data in the same model and using HGBoost, it boosted whatever. You've got all those things. But at the end of the day is before doing anything, just from the data alone and from the business alone, the technical person has to be able to give me, give us, the insight on what is the way to solve the problem. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And if this is your first time listening, this podcast is where you will find discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on accelerations in productivity and impact through the human relationship with technology. A lot of really cool topics. Today's episode focuses on data science, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what an episode it is. I thoroughly enjoyed it. One of my favorite episodes thus far. And throughout the prep, the original outreach with today's guest and the opportunity to get closer to his voice throughout the editing process, the entire journey really made me think it's not every day that we can take some time and truly download and learn some great lessons, experiences, and stories from someone that I think certainly has and will continue to make a huge impact on technology and the field of data science. When I ask myself why I continue to do this podcast, it's, it's a ton of work. It's a lot of time, a lot of thinking, a lot of strategically understanding what's important to technology, what's important to us as human beings and how those things fuse. But it all came together, I think, with this very episode and conversations like you'll hear today, I just think it's so very valuable for us to be a part of discussions like this and to really enjoy what is on other people's minds and how they're accelerating the capabilities of our, of our species. So I hope you enjoy this, this episode. I had the absolute privilege with having Elaine Bryanson on the podcast. Elaine is currently the Chief Technology Officer and VP of Data Science at Cerebri AI, a SaaS startup that focuses on helping enterprise businesses understand what their customers are thinking by predicting the next best action to take that will yield the most value for both the enterprise and the enterprise's customer based on that end customer's actions throughout the life cycle of how they're engaging with products and services in their everyday life. So throughout the talk, Elaine referred to this as talk is good, but the wallet is better for predicting future customer behavior and the true measure of customer experience by truly measuring everything. So I don't want to spoil the episode, but we'll get further into this as we coast through the discussion. 
Coincidentally enough, Cerebri AI's lead investor is M12, formerly known as Microsoft Ventures. And I'm actually really looking forward to getting a hold of some of the folks I know from that team for future episodes. You can find more information about Cerebri AI at Cerebri, C-E-R-E-B-R-I-A-I.com. Really cool company. Elaine Bryanson is an electrical engineer by training with a bachelor's in EE from, I'm going to butcher this completely, Central E. Supelec, it's a university in France, and a PhD in electrical engineering from MIT. Although heavily indexed on the electrical engineering side, he categorizes himself not as an engineer, but as a technologist. And you'll see why during our, our talk. Elaine has a background in telecommunications, where he spent time working in areas from satellites to wired communication to wireless. He's had his hands on the data science aspect of prediction, forecasting, advanced analytics, and industries focused in everything, including winning elections. So think of PACs here, auditions for artists, and diet management. And he's been the CTO and CEO of multiple startups. Cerebri is his fourth, candidly admitting that he's caught the startup bug. While in these leadership roles, Elaine really sees his central responsibility as creating a diverse learning environment that enables ideas, creativity, and curiosity. And he's not interested in diversity because it's the cool thing right now. He's truly interested in it because he's solving some really, really difficult problems with some amazing intellectual horsepower and people that he works with every day. So you're really going to like this particular segment of the talk. Some of the items we discuss in the episode, being curious and celebrating creation, a quote from Elaine, the job of the CTO, creating environments that enable ideas and creation as the very, very highest value activity of a human being. So a lot of creativity talk. Talk about the data science interview, what businesses are looking for in this process, the behind the scenes, and how technical talent should holistically approach how to solve some of these challenges and focus on critical thinking in their interviews and in their careers. Learned experience as a crutch, we talk about this, and we also talk about an accelerator to novel approaches. We talk about why we should stop talking about the size of our data and why we all have a tendency to think the size of our data determines who we are. So he's got some funny anecdotes here. The idea of data debt and dynamically changing data stacks and the true cost of pandering to these large data sets. We talk about Cerebri AI and the success of relying on highly diverse STEM-oriented teams, geographic, intellectual, gender, race, age, all these different things, and many other considerations to diversity that yield highly different ways to approach problem sets, successfully and unsuccessfully. We talk about data science as a craft, intuition, and the importance of explainability and bias, the true measure of customer experience, and how measuring and customer actions are the best indicators of how they are likely to act in the future. Wow. Such a valuable episode. I learned so much from this. I'm really excited to get some feedback on what you guys think. I'm really thankful that I was able to talk to Elaine for so long about what's on his heart and in his mind and what this really cool organization, Cerebri AI, is up to. And just generally how the evolving field of data science is changing so fast. But really, at the heart of it, we get into this idea of critical thinking and abstracting the problem solving away from the data sets, away from the technology and focusing more on what makes us human. If you haven't already, please leave a comment about the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and conversations. 
The episode is also available on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. And now I bring you Elaine Bryanson. Elaine, how are you? So far, so good. Beautiful Sunday and wet Sunday in Maryland. So it's a, the time of the week when you can think about what to do next. Yep. And it's a, it's a, it's a somewhat chilly Sunday here in uh, Southern California. And we're going to be talking about data science and data and all the, the beautiful things that people probably should not be talking about on a Sunday morning. Um, but hey, really glad to have you on. Really excited about this. I've been really looking forward to this for uh, the past several weeks since we've connected. And um, I know you through Nabil Adeni. He's a business analyst at Cerebri AI. Yep. And he reached out. I think he had seen some of the work I was, I've been doing on this podcast. And he mentioned your thought leadership right away and said, you have to talk to Elaine. He's a, just a brilliant guy and just a great speaker. And then from our uh, previous discussions and setting up this, this discussion, this call, uh, super witty. I enjoyed our conversation and even our first initial connection point went longer than it probably should have because we just started getting into this. All these it's a, it's a, it, is, it is very difficult if you're passionate about a topic and there's nothing wrong about being passionate about a business topic or work topic and the like to not get sucked into it. Uh, no, nothing wrong at all. Nothing wrong at all. I mean, Steve, you know, Steve Jobs in uh, uh, the Ellen Arkin, no, no, Sorkin, sorry, wrote his uh, speech to the Stanford graduating class, you know, uh, do, do the things you love uh, and, and live your life. So nothing wrong, a little nerdy, strange for the significant <laughs> others, but uh, nonetheless fun. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, you know, your girlfriend, my wife, they probably have some opinion of that, which we'll, yes. we might hear a little bit later uh, today. Yes. So, uh, Elaine, please, uh, you have just such an awesome uh, experience, profile, and history. Tell me a little bit about your career and what you're doing today at uh, Cerebri AI. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, it's it's a long career, so this is it is it is easy to uh, accumulate uh, uh, fun and uh, impactful moments uh, when you've been advanced at this uh, uh, for a while. So, um, I, I went to MIT from '81 to '86. I came from France for one year uh, exchange, and uh, well, uh, went all the way to the PhD. And at the end, uh, I passed the IQ test, which is I go back to France. Or I stay in the U.S. and uh, make much more money and have more opportunities, so I stick there. So my, uh, I'm trained as a technologist. I'm a WCS by training, um, and my early years were uh, working for telecommunication uh, um, companies, both uh, satellite, uh, then wired, then wireless, uh, and big companies, the GTs of the world. Uh, uh, comes out of the world and PageNet, which is no longer exists, but was at the time the largest paging company uh, in the world. And so I, I experienced the telco side of things. Um, after some uh, wrestling in Texas for PageNet, I ended up working for Motorola and uh, another big company that unfortunately shrunk and shrunk and shrunk systematically when I was there. I don't think it's a causality. I don't want anybody uh, to make the inference it's a causality. And as we might discuss, there's a big difference between correlation and causality. And I would say that was not correlated either. Um, so the, the interesting thing is I discovered that the, uh, you worry about churn, which was the beginning of my formative life, so to speak, to what do you mean we're not meaning the quarter number of sales, uh, panic, 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 or we have a bluebird and everything happy. 
Um, after Motorola, we're uh, done a fair amount of uh, work in the application space, which was nascent at the time, on top of wireless. I joined a company uh, in the King of Prussia, uh, Pennsylvania, called Interdigital. Um, and there was very, very lucky to have a boss called uh, Howard Goldberg, who gave me the freedom to help develop a roadmap to take the company from what was basically an engineering job shop for Nokia to really a standalone great creator of technologies, making sales businesses, but also uh, licensing. And that went on for a while. And then um, uh, Howard left the company. And uh, afterwards, uh, uh, the, uh, I left the company as well and joined a startup that Howard was involved in. And it was a chemistry startup. It was called Entera. And I uh, decided to go along because, one, I like the guy, and two, is like, I haven't done chemistry in so, so long. It's going to be challenging. And what I learned there, which is relevant to this work, is if you have preconceived ways of solving problems, they do not always work. Uh, I come from a strong uh, you know, software and system analysis background, so the first thing I do when I have a problem is I divide and conquer. You know, what's the API, what's the interface, what does this block do, try to solve this problem before this problem. And when you're doing chemistry, in our case, we were doing both synthesis of molecule as well as rheology because we were delivering the chemistry through inks. You cannot do so. And it took me six months to realize that my many years by then of experience were not relevant because the problem at hand didn't, was not conducive to my thinking process, to my solving pattern processes. It's a different schema for how you approach it. It's a different it. schema. It's a, it's, a, it's a balloon. You know, you squeeze on one side, it goes on the other. You cannot freeze things. Everything involves at different rates. And the formative nature of this vis-a-vis -vis the, the, the job now is when we hired people, we hire people with very different background. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that two different STEM disciplines will have a problem-solving approach that are, at times, dramatically different. And I think that you can be very successful in design when you bring that up. That said, uh, Entera went kaput, run out of money, so you learn quickly, oh, gee, the startup world can uh, uh, not work so well. Um, and um, But I caught the bug. Uh, that was it. It's uh, the, the, the reward of getting something right and the customer telling you right away or something stupid and the customer telling you right away is very addictive to certain personalities. Um, there is no filter with the sales team, a huge sales teams that drives its own agenda. Uh, marketing is typically one or two dudes or dudettes. Um, and so uh, there, is a, the, uh, there is a loop. The, the feedback loop you get in a startup is, is very exciting. For those who can deal with it, if you can't deal with it, you know, it's not for you. You're going to be told often, well, no, that's not right. Or you know it's right, but the company you're dealing with is so big that they think because you're so small, you're not that bright. So, you know, deal to deal with it, but I did it. So um, this is uh, after uh, this first endeavor. Uh, I went at it uh, four times. This is my fourth time uh, doing this. And uh, all four startups I was involved in had, in one way, shape, or form, some machine learning and artificial intelligence in it. Some uh, was an IoT, uh, Internet of Things, uh, measuring and predicting when uh, equipment would fail in, around the house. 
uh, one dealing with diet management uh, and the adaptation to um, the modifications of recipes uh, to, to, to what is needed, uh, taking into account the fact that people don't always tell the truth. So that was another learning thing. What I try to do in my career is always try to learn something. And I think it's if you, if you don't uh, learn uh, and pick up, you're missing something. It's almost paraphrasing Ferris Bueller. Uh, you know, life goes on, but if you don't stop every now and again, uh, you know, it's going to pass by. And so uh, on the IoT work, I kind of learned what, uh, uh, you know, the distribution of processes. Uh, how do you do things real-time, non-real-time? In the diets, uh, we base the assumptions that people would lie on their logs of what they eat and don't eat. I'm not going to say that I'm lying. I'm not even keeping a log. So, um, But... Uh, the, the nature of truth, the nature of curation, the nature of data cleansiness, usability, and what have you, organizations came about. Um, then I uh, worked for a PAC that I was helping with election, so a lot of electioneering and some very basic AI applied to elections. And then as soon as the election was over in 2017, my boss, Jean Bélanger, who I had known for 19 years then, and with whom we tried to do a startup, but uh, he wanted me to move to Austin. So it was kind of a no-no, says, okay, we can start a Washington office. And uh, Austin's not too bad, by the way. Austin, 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 Austin is fine, but uh, when you've got families and uh, yeah, and uh, the, the roots here, it's, uh, it's a little difficult. I go to Austin once a month, if not twice a month. Uh, I go to Toronto about once a month. Uh, uh, we have three offices, Toronto, Austin, and D.C., um, and the data science team uh, is spread around those three offices on purpose because it forces documentation. So Austin, a fine city, um, and uh, but said, no, we'll do something in D.C., and that's how we started. Uh, at least that's how we started the D.C. office. And uh, Cerebri AI is bar none the most advanced AI stuff uh, I've ever done. Um, it's some of the most advanced AI stuff I've ever seen um, because it's a pure play um, and it's a pure play to help Fortune 500 companies run their business better by providing actionable insights. Uh, so it build up and build up and build up. I'm not going to say it's my last startup because I've said that four times already. Um, so no, but uh, this one is um, from a... Uh, level of uh, intellectual uh, simulation and pace of adoption of tech is is uh, not incrementally faster than the others, but uh, a new plateau. So having, having a lot of fun and uh, tomorrow morning I'll be on a plane and I'll go to Toronto for a week. And so it goes. So, so Elaine, and I can't wait to, to dive further into, you know, your thoughts about Cerebri AI and, and, what it does and how you guys are helping customers and the pain points that you're trying to help. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very interested in this topic of learning and this topic of diversity of, uh, you mentioned, you know, two, having two STEM disciplines, uh, the way that they approach a problem may not be the same. Um, and looking at your, I mean, you have a tremendous amount of patents. Uh, yeah. you, you've been a, you've been in some kind of CTO founder position for the last 20 years. And I'm looking at some of your patents and I was just kind of laughing because, I mean, just as an example, one, multi-stage machine learning models to control path-dependent processes. And then you go down, a pressure regulation servo valve 
with reduced leakage flow rate. So uh, MIT, PhD in electrical engineering, and one of your, your languages now is Python that you, you said yeah. you can speak. So uh, tell me, like how, like, how did you make this transition and how, are, how can other folks follow in your footsteps in terms of this diversity of thought and experience? Um, yeah, on the, on the, just to, to dispose of uh, uh, the issue, I got hooked on patent when I was at Motorola. Uh, Motorola had a great system where your badge was white, but if you had 10 patents, your badge was gold. And if you had 25 patents, your, your, your patent was silverish for titanium or something, or platinum. And, and you go to, uh, I would go to my staff meeting, and I was the only one with a white uh, badge, and everybody was gold, 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 platinum, platinum, gold, gold. So you go, like, okay, fine, uh, I got the message. Um, uh, so that's, that's how I got hooked, and there's a lot of tools that I learned them, which we expanded, I need to digital. With respect to the pressure valve and the like, um, this was an investor, he's one of my startup, and I told him that if you were gonna invest in my startup, I was gonna help him write a patent. Um, and I took his ideas and pretty much uh, modeled it. So this is this, this is a hobby. Uh, uh, patenting is uh, getting the point of a pseudo hobby. Um, but the reason why um, uh, I like it and why um, during our reviews, I always ask for any unusual event or any unusual uh, problem that you had to solve, is because it becomes a systematic way to, 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 to create and capture the creation. And I inherently believe that the process of curation is at the highest level of what we can do as individuals. So the advice that I would give to, to others is be curious and celebrate creations. There are moments at meetings or there are moments when you go to a movie, when you see something for the first time, you hear something for the first time, and you know it's different and it's a breakthrough. Um, and you see Avatar, and it's like, wow, top of a, top of a deal. Um, when we work at Motorola on, on, on the Java strategy, what became the Java strategy, there was one meeting, and it was one Thursday afternoon, and it was 3.14 in the afternoon, nothing to do with pi, it just happened to be the case, the central zone where the idea came and everybody in the room knew it, 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 it was the strategy. So to me, if you want, if you want to uh, uh, move ahead on what have you, be curious and celebrate creation and don't, uh, any small level of creation uh, might become the next big thing. Uh, at Cerebri, before I joined, the idea, uh, the, the fundamental root idea was we should measure everything from the perspective of the customer, not the brand, not the business, and of the customer. And everybody says, I'm going to be customer-centric and so on. And then you come up with these measures. But if you look at most of the measures, um, they are brand-centric, they are business-centric. Um, Cerebrate AI was really built on precept. We're going to measure everything from the cons customer or consumer in a B2C uh, a business. And that's, that's uh, what changes things. So when, when, you wanna, when, you, when, when you're willing to create, when you're willing to you know, listen and, and take the, the, the time to learn new way of thinking or appreciating new way of thinking, I think you can have the ability to meander uh, the way I've meandered. Um, some paths were chosen. 
and some pathway surprises. I mean, I chose not to do electrical engineering CTO for a while. Um, all, all my teams were chemists. So here is this doubly guy who can, you know, barely spell the periodic table in order. Um, but we forced ourselves to, to get new thinking and, and new way of thinking, and that's what got us through. So I, I think at the end of the day, it's curiosity and celebrate creation. Um, and capture it and pass it to others. And if it's a Jenny we came up with the idea, make sure that everybody realizes it's Jenny, it's not you. Um, the job of a CTO, the job of a CEO is not to come up with the best ideas or the best strategies. It's to create an environment where those ideas are generated and recognize the good ones and then execute on them. And so curiosity and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I get my fair amount of emails from recruiters you can imagine uh, in, in uh, when we have you know, the, the traction we've been getting people and typically I get the you know we've got these great people and we've got this great process and I'm like okay they can submit directly what do you look exactly in the job position it's listed so it's not that difficult they should do their homework um, but it says what is the value that you value the most and my answer is always the same curiosity I, that, I mean, that's a, an extremely valuable mindset and culture, it sounds like. I mean, everything that you're saying, you're, you're creating this very creative environment. Um, you're rewarding curiosity. Um, you're really – it sounds like the culture for you personally is just to calibrate around creativity and curiosity. And then just kind of diving into what Cerebri does, you know, helping under, uh, enterprises understand what customers are thinking. And then I've read some of your articles and it talks about, you know, the, the fallacy of the net promotion score. Um, and it makes, it makes so much sense because like, for instance, I was watching a, a movie on HBO go last night. And if someone were to survey me exactly after I watched that movie on HBO go, I'd say, man, this is an incredible movie I would, or an incredible uh, platform. I love HBO go. It's fantastic. But that's because Disney hasn't been released yet. Mm -hmm. And the second I watched star Wars on Disney, that's going to change the way that I promote and I think of the HBO platform because it's all based upon time and experience and yeah. things like that. Can, can you talk, I guess, more about what is the culture there and how it's making this, uh, uh, the feasibility of this technology better? Yeah, so let me, uh, since you, 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 you brought that up, let me just um, make a statement about, you know, uh, are we trying to measure things? Um, uh, surveys are important. Survey can be a source of input. But, you know, our, our thesis is, there are two theses in building this, this, uh, this, uh, this tech. Uh, one is that corporate data is not evil. Corporate data is good. Corporate data is cleaner than social data and the like. And that enterprises are sitting uh, on gold mine or oil field, depending on uh, your perspective, of, of insights. They are in the form of data, and someone needs to transform the insight, uh, the data into the insight. You know, like, don't give me more data, give me more information. Well, don't give me more data, give me more insight. Uh, so that, that the, the other thing that, that is at the, at the principle of the design is uh, talking is good, uh, getting your opinion is good, you using your wallet is more indicative of what matters to you. And um, uh, our perspective is that um, 
if you complain uh, that uh, your car does this right and the other and I'm going to take it to the ditch, um, but you take it to the dealer you know, to get fixed or the local shop to get fixed and then you buy the same one, it tells you more about your relationship uh, with what you have uh, than, your, than your actions. So I think there is, uh, uh, you know, our, our view is uh, talk is good. Uh, use of the wallet is uh, is more indicative. With respect to the culture, there are a couple of things that are uh, unique about it. One, uh, we believe that diversity uh, at all levels is very important. If you go to our website, our CEO organized a series of uh, podcasts with uh, religious leaders um, uh, and also with uh, personalities from uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 news, and and it's mandatory for everybody to listen to. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you can listen when you're commuting. So this is not the end of the world, time consumption wise. But the idea was, uh, you're going to see lots of people around the office and around life that think differently from you because their religious background or ethnic background or where they come from is different. And so this is a CEO level initiative. Um, and definitely sets the tone from above that we will respect people's perspective, uh, diversity, and the like. Um, and um, you know, it's so front and center that there's no ambiguity about what what would be needed. When you look into the technology, the platform we developed and we we release, uh, we don't do models. We we run a SaaS platform. It runs behind the firewall of the corporation, and it does all its. Uh, machine learning machinations uh, uh, to, to, to provide different indices and lists and indexes and the like. It's a co-architected software and data science. And when you do this, you've got this um, inherent yin and yang. You want to be creative, but you have deadlines. Um, and you've got a group that starts from deadlines and hard delivery and want to get the inputs from the data science as clean as possible and data science that wants to have you know, as much freedom until the last moment. So one of the elements that is very important is not as much common language, although we have common language, we kind of have a Python, we Spark, so Python Scala, um, but it is really an appreciation of what it is to uh, for the other person to have enough information to start doing their work. The reason why we work very well with three offices, and I learned this from Antera. At Antera, my first startup, a lot of the businesses was in Ireland. The rest, the minority of the business was in Pennsylvania. Is if you walk to the next person and can ask him or her, what, is it, what does it mean, by the way? And the person answers right away. Yes, your work can continue, but you've captured absolutely zilch of the intellectual property or of the, of the know-how uh, that has been developed. So one of the things we, we, we deal from a cultural point of view is to say you need to document, and we force cross-location teams when appropriate so that the documentation from one team to another team, from one individual to another one, is written, well-documented, can be reviewed you know, weeks from now, months from now, years from now. Uh, so uh, it, it creates a high level of accountability because it's not, okay, I've done my thing and how it goes. It's an internal tech transfer. It's an internal knowledge transfer. 
And as we know, tech transfer is a contact sport. And the transfer success is in the eye and ear and brain and heart of the transferee, not the transferor. So the, the, the inner mechanism of communications of what has been created or what is needed in order to be implemented is part and parcel of, of what we want to do. Uh, you know, I travel a lot because I've got to you know, uh, uh, help and, and provide value to the team in multiple locations. Members of the teams travel from offices to offices when we have important meetings or important design to take, pl to take place. But we rely on this diversity of location uh, uh, to get the things well done. We also uh, look into uh, leveraging the, the background skills of the different groups. I mean, we have we have PhD in user interface. We have a PhD in uh, oceanography, uh, atmosphere, uh, atmospheric uh, science, uh, uh, quantum chemistry. Doesn't like when I say that, but okay, that's it is what it is. Statistics and the like. And then we have folks that have worked in the industry many, many years. And then we have many folks, we hire a lot of, out of school uh, for whom it's the first experience. Um, and it's it's all these mixtures of, well, why are we doing it that way? To, well, I've never done anything, so what is the proper way to do so? Can I try this? We've tried, don't do it. Well, we've tried it, failed, but do it nonetheless. That allow us to to uh, to do the design we, we do and, and do the move we do. And so the the, the, the trick is to from the get-go, say you're gonna say you're gonna hear different voices, you're gonna have different method. What turns on Sarah is gonna be different than what turns off Max. Um, and all of this is valid. Um, it's not, I don't want to give the impression that it's very unstructured, far from it, it's extremely structured. But within the confine of the different development cycles, uh, or within the confine of the different element of the architecture. There's a lot of creativity at the block level, so to speak, uh, how the blocks fit one another from a process point of view across the organization or from a data point of view across the platform. That is very structured. Um, and any deviation from the set structure, which happen, uh, are elevated at the executive level because we want to make sure that when we take fundamental uh, decisions, um, they are well thought out and well thought out and supported by everybody. Uh, another thing that just from a pure um, creating the culture point of view, we get probably a hundred resumes per week. Um, if, if you want to understand how, what the melting pot of America uh, looks like, you just have to look at the resumes. It's from all over the place and it's fantastic. Um, the interview process typically as a test um, a couple of technical discussions, maybe a business discussion, HR and myself. At times, I'm the first person. At times, I'm the last person. At times, I'm in the middle. Uh, at any moment in the process, a person within the process has veto power. I might love a candidate, I'd say. She's going to be great, a lot of stuff and what have you. And the next person who is... Uh, a data scientist or a junior data scientist, senior data scientist, doesn't matter, goes and say, the way they were doing SQL queries uh, or this and that just to whoever and didn't send a what, didn't stand, it's a no. And at that point, it's a no. I will not try to override. 
And the reason why we use, and we send a note to everybody we reject, it comes under my mail, because at times they want to know what went wrong. You've got to explain, you know, we have so many people, you have to really stand out, or there was something deficient and what have you, because, uh, you know, I believe very feedback. And these, are, the these are all technical. These are all technical people, Elaine, or are this, is this, are you guys, is this the way you hire with marketing and with sales? Uh, we, and uh, with marketing and sales, uh, as soon as we're done with this funding, there'll be more effort. We have, uh, we have one sales guy and uh, two marketing folks. Um, uh, when looking at the executive level, higher, all the executive are involved. I'm, I'm talking about on, on the technical side. Got it. And the reason is that you never want to hear is not working out, you know, I was not okay with him joining. I want, we want ownership of the well-being of the team to be by the team. I mean, the clan model is, is very powerful. You, you join the clan, you're in the clan. No. And so giving ownership and empowerment to everybody is very important because now we have a vested uh, uh we are vested into the success of, of the employees. Some of them don't work. We had separations, voluntary and involuntary, because this is not for everybody. You have to really work hard and you have to really, uh, I mean, we're dealing with tough problems. But at the end of the day, once you're in, you're in, and everybody is going to make sure that you're successful at it because they depend on it. And and uh, uh, it might be, uh, and for some, some, uh, uh, interviewing when I happen to like them at the beginning and I jump on and I, I'm the first call, they think, gee, I mean, I've got the CTO, you know, we spend half an hour on the weekends, which is about the only time I've got to do interviews. Um, and uh, uh, so this was great. And then they talk with other folks and it's like, well, I work for Vasily, works for Alain, or works for Chris. And so they think, oh, I'm just being filtered down and it's okay. And then I've got to send them the note, I'm terribly sorry, will not follow. So that makes at time a little awkward, but because it's a you know open process, they can call me and so on and so forth. We explain the rationale behind it. But at the end of the day, what makes the culture so strong is there is a clan, and that's important because you're going to get accounts that you think are going to sign, and they don't sign, and there should be no panic. There's going to be the I'm so sorry to bother you. This weekend is going to be crazy. We 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 have to work on it. Um, uh, there was uh, just on Friday, and that was taking place uh, during Game Three of the World Series. Uh, I don't know what will happen by the time this is broadcasted, but let's just say, well, uh, praying for better for better pitching. Um, uh, there was a back and forth because we we wanted to translate some 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 text into Hebrew uh, for a, a, a potential customer in Israel, and so it was like who does it and what have you, and back and forth, and then at the end. Uh, uh, a person in charge says, They're not, we're not due to talk to them until November 27th. We're recording this on October 27th, so a month from now. So it's like, okay, no need to panic them, right? Yes, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's going to be some craziness. Um, and because there is this, this, uh, this transparency in hiring, this transparency in process, this, this is a unified team across three multiple. It allows us to deal with the, the 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 tear the scratches and and the um, you know the challenges better than if it was you know I'm just doing this I'm supposed to do that and the like um, another expression or well not another expression an expression I use is because we're going to be stepping on each other's toes and what have you 
is that uh, an organization, especially a startup organization, is like a leather bag, not like a fancy car. If you scratch a fancy car, it's the end of the world. If you scratch a leather bag, it Perfect. gives you patin and cachet. So as long as you don't scratch the bag too often, you're okay. But what we are is a very talented bunch of leather bags. So, so a lot of character. I mean, I love and I appreciate this this visibility and and how you're you're just opening the hood and showing us kind of what's what's going on in there. Um, and I'm just thinking about this interview process. I'm thinking about the number of resumes you get. I'm thinking about you know the quality and the progressiveness of your AI technology. Um, the, the the current time today, where so many people are trying to be, become data scientists, so many people are well educated, a lot of good candidates. And, and, and just in a, in a in my last podcast, I mentioned a quote from a, a kind of a digital hero of mine, Gary Vee, and he said, "Hiring is like guessing, and firing is like knowing." Yeah. Um, so when you're hiring, and, and let's not focus on the firing, but let's let's focus on the hiring. What separates a good technical asset from someone who is not? This is probably the most uh, difficult question to answer vis-a-vis the hiring process. So well done. Um, <laughs> they are the basic uh, the basic skills of of programming, uh, knowing enough about um, what you can do or can't do. I mean, uh, God forbid, I shouldn't write any Python code. I can read it. I can review it. I can understand the flow. But every now and again, it's like this is kind of strange, especially uh, because of all these packages that you have. And one of the criteria um, uh, I use is when there is a list of all the packages that someone puts once on a resume, so I could learn and uh, pandas and thing and so on. My my eyes glaze off. It's like you are you are missing you're missing the issue. You're talking about you know when you know what kind of problems are you trying to solve rather than visa the package I used. Everybody can use a package, and the package are getting so and so more so sophisticated that I have a tendency to somewhat dismiss the heavy emphasis on the packages. What distinguishes to me are the critical thinking. And is the insight that you are related truly an insight or just a fluke of the data set you worked on? Um, there's a fair amount of, of, uh, of uh, resumes I see where it says, well, I was able to run this model on this Kaggle set and so on and so forth. Thank God nobody uses the Titanic anymore because if I just see Titanic in the resume, I think it's pretty much you would have to be really, really good for me to consider further. And says, oh, the accuracy was 94%. As if it mattered. I can have a problem where the data set is so imbalanced that a random classifier will do great. So if you're telling me that the accuracy is this or that the precision is that, why is this relevant? Is the business model you were trying to solve one where the false positive or the most the false negative were the most important? If you're doing a classification, let's say a multi-label classification of clustering, is going from 12 cluster to 18 what mattered or to go from 9 to 6 what mattered? So when going through the interview process on the technology side is, can you think about what is the substance of the underlying technique you are using? 
And can you think about the implications of the data set as inherently on the polymer? If you're not able to do those, then you might be a programmer, but you're not a data scientist. Because uh, as Jean Belanger is found to say, it's called data science, not science data, and what have you. There is the data part. You have to understand ETLs and you know, joining and cleaning and nulls and longitudinal data, data and continuous data. And if you've got continuous data and categorical data in the same model and using HDBoost, HDBoost, whatever. You've got all those things. But at the end of the day is before doing anything, just from the data alone and from the business alone, the technical person has to be able to give me, give us, the insight on what is the way to solve the problem. And if it goes back to you know, my earlier theme in the discussion about how to, uh, you know, the critical thinking and different backgrounds, is because that's what it is. Is I could have a data set that is so imbalanced or something which is so hollow that from the get-go, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. So part of, of, of figuring a good technologist is, is to go through those, uh, publish papers, pro, uh, provide a certain set of value. You've got to be careful if there are 13 names, I think that I number for effect on purpose, because not everybody wrote the darn thing. Uh, so two people writing is different from three people writing, is way different from the rest. So you look into the level of writing. You look into whether it's the reliance on the library and the reliance on the math. I interviewed a very talented operation research person because we, we have machine learners, uh, machine learning people, machine learners, that's kind of a strange name. Uh, folks with background, we have mathematical statistics background and we have operation research because we need all three disciplines in order to do the things we do. And so I was, I was, I was talking to a very talented uh, PhD candidate and uh, you know, under what conditions uh, can you use this method and what have you. And the answer that kept coming over and over, well, we have to look into what the equation says. It's like, if there is no equation. And, and you just watch the balloon and what do you mean there is no equation? So there's many things in life, there's no equations. But how can you solve it? Which at this point was like, okay, well, you just finished the interview, you're going to be polite for another 10 minutes. Because the, 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 there, there is no equation. In you're some right. cases, there is one, you know, the GDP is the sum of this, that's an equation. Uh, but others, if there are not. And so, uh, you know, but, but he's going to go talk to our other operation research because some of the things he was talking about were, were very relevant. He doesn't know why. Uh, I can't share one on his podcast, but, but they're important. So part of it is to figure out, do you look at what you've learned as a crutch uh, or as a... Um, would be the equivalent as as a as a as a rock as you're crossing a river. I'm very bad with analogies here. Um, if you're looking as a crutch, you're not going to be willing to explore, and you're likely going to be able to um, uh, to, to create in an environment where if you fail, you don't think it's the end of the world. I mean, there are those there are those questions, and I stay away from them. I don't know if the people from my team ask him on a very regular basis. We have a very detailed uh, readouts of the interview process. Um, there is always a question: you know, what is the highest success you've had in your career? Blah blah blah. And what is the highest failure? Blah blah blah. And I focus on the failure, not because I'm a masochist, but because you're going to fail three or four times before you're successful. 
And so it's how you handle it. Um, when I was uh, helping MIT doing some recruiting uh, as part of the uh, alumni uh, at the alumni network, the first time I went to a, 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 an interview to learn how it's done, the gentleman who was asking a question, uh, uh, the, the first question he asked, he says, how is it going to feel for you to be the worst one in your class? I mean, you're talking about people applying to MIT, so, you know, top of their class. And, 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 I'm, and I'm like, gosh, what a silly ugh, question to ask. So I modulate mine, says, how would it be to not be the best? But his point was, he says, you read a lot because if you want to be safe and you don't create and you rely on the technology as a crutch, then you get there. So understanding the crutch uh, or not is, is, is an important element. Uh, we have a uh, set of tests that we give, um, we give especially uh, uh, kids out of school. I use kids. I mean, I'm almost 60, so I can use the word kids for people out of school <laughs> without getting the PC police to uh, feed my Twitter feed. Um, but uh, uh, for them, we do some basic tests because you have to be uh, careful about it. Um, and the test, at times, it's, it's an absolute fail or it's an absolute pass or it's in the middle. And then this is why we rely on you know, more technical interviews and the like uh, to go through. But uh, I think if you look into, is it, is it the way you think or is this what you've done? Uh, I think you can pretty much direct pretty quickly uh, if people are going to be a good contributor or not. Uh, some of the most breakthrough thinking we've got um, uh, came from a data scientist who was only a data scientist for the last two years and had a career in physics before. And he approached the problem uh, with very first principle uh, approach, which is uh, you know, the, 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 the scientific method. I have something, I'm going to do one change, see what happens. I'm going to do another change, see what happens. So he developed this methodology, which now we're using for reinforced learning. You know, one step at a time, and it was painful to watch at times. It's like, okay, come on, those three things you know are going to work, scientific method. But you know it's like, scientific method, are we done with the Zoom call? And it's like, okay, fine, you know, go do the thing. Um, and, and others just do, you know, big leap ahead. And, and so during the interview process, you've got to get a sense also is, um, do, you, do you have an intuition or not? Which is why, for instance, the accuracy questions or the, uh, uh, you know, asking about accuracy and all of his performance metrics becomes important. Because if you rely on the output of uh, psychic learn uh, to give me the answer, and you don't realize it was in the data already, uh, you know the tool, but you're not technically savvy enough. And, and I like, uh, so I did a podcast uh, last week, and we talked about the, the power of intuition and how good data scientists, or they, they start to, really look at this problem and they start to think to themselves, okay, do we, is there a person in the world that exists that has some kind of intuition on this data? Um, is there some kind of practitioner that can, that can, that understands the problem that believes that there is a direction to go in? Um, because there's so much data out there. And I think in, in your, in your title, I think you say business, big data without a business case is big, big BS and you don't like BS. Yes. So, and, and if you have these characters that say, "Hey, I have a I have a pair, have a, a petabyte of data," and they're always yeah. talking about how big their data, and that to me, and I think you would agree, and I underscored this when I talked to you, but that's like saying, "Hey, I have a warehouse of fifty-five gallon drums of fuel. Let's go build something." Yeah. And it's just there's no direction. Um, it, so, can you talk more about 
that concept? Yeah. I think I think I think there are two things uh, to to really differentiate the two. The one is a discussion on intuition, and the other one is on petabyte of data. So let's <laughs> let's take the most uh, a challenging of the two first, which is intuition. There's a difference between business intelligence and data science. Um, and uh, if you uh, if you uh, use a lot of Tableau and VBA, nothing against Excel, nothing against Tableau, you used to. I have an hypothesis, and I want to sign. I want to see what's going on and the like. Whereas in data science, I think one of the most challenging area is it's almost you know almost it's, there's there's a craft of nature to it. I mean, data craft would not sound as uh, as fancy as data science. So I understand why people don't use it. But every now and again, you get a result which is counterintuitive, absolutely counterintuitive. And for you or for the customer in the issue trying to solve, to, 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 to sell the solution, um, these are the most interesting point. Because common sense at time, it, well, there's a saying common sense not common, but that notwithstanding, is at time the data is simply counterintuitive. The results, the insights are counterintuitive. And this is to me where creation and your critical thinking become so important. Because if I look at counterintuitive result, the accuracy and you know F1 area under the curve, or you know, the distance from the center of the cluster to the edge, or the top affinity scores, all these oodles and oodles of, of quality measurements which, which we use, are not as relevant about does it make sense? Is there an explanation? And have I created the platform that allows me to explore things? So we were confronted enough with, um, with uh, counterintuitive results that in our platform, uh, we developed explanation capabilities. First was to ourselves. And then after a while, we says, well, if we have to rely on those, and with the people manipulated the data, did all the heavy work, and the customer, our customer, certainly needs this information in life. So, the, the, the interesting thing is to develop what is dealing with intuition and counterintuition is to develop the explainability, the audit, the control tools. Uh, control, you know, it, it's really what big corporations want to do. That's why they need to understand uh, why the results, why the insights you have are the way they are, is to create those tools in a manner where we could challenge. If it follows the intuition, it's great. If it doesn't follow the intuition, it's great on the different circumstances. So we use a, a series of, of, of technique uh, dealing with explainability. And, and we force uh, ourselves to have this explanation uh, done by our business analysts, not by the data scientists. The data scientists are part of the team, but the people that are presenting the work, that are driving the requirement for explainability, are those who deal with the customer, our customers. And the reason is, following something discussed earlier, is it forces uh, documentation. It, it, it forces a very healthy back and forth. Well, you say it's obvious. It's not obvious to me. Well, it's obvious. You know, the, the, it's obvious is the reason why you tell you know, a teenager that they should come at home at night you know, by such and such. And why, why 10 o'clock? Because it's obvious, you know, which is another way to say, because I say so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, wrote, I wrote an article recently on the explanation, and uh, it says it's uh, why the why way is the right way. And the first line I say it says, 
why or what do I do this? Because I'm your mother, that's why. So those things don't really work. It work for, for, for our respective mothers. Uh, but as work in an enterprise environment doesn't realize when you are dealing with results and patterns that have never been seen before. So going around the intuition is transparency, explainability, and the like. Um, we had a fantastic meeting recently with a, a customer uh, who is a, did a proof of concept with us when we moved at unbelievable speed. Uh, data ingestions to uh, insight that can be deployed in machine learning system six weeks. Um, and uh, we show the result and we show them that 78% uh, of what drives the, the, drives the insight, in this case it was to uh, sell personal loans, um, was the customer journey. We organized data in customer journeys, so there were not static factors, there were dynamic factors. And, and the guy looks uh, at this uh, and turns to his team and says, well, clearly not something we can do in Excel. And at that point, uh, we knew we'd made the sale because the explanations and the power of the thing uh, was there. Now for the second topic you brought up, my favorite uh, and least politically correct um, uh, analogy, uh, which is I've got a terabyte of data, now I've got a petabyte of data, then I've got this and that and the other. I think that talking about the size of your data set is at times, and then let me repeat it so that not everybody is offended, at times the equivalent of someone buying a very expensive and loud Ferrari, running it downtown, making a lot of noise, compensating for something. So what I mean by it is, is what matters is the quality of the insight and what you can do with it, not the quantity of the data that you get. And a lot of data is good, but a lot of data is bad for a lot of reasons. One, if you've got to wait for everything to be on the lake, you might drown because it's like a lot of things and I don't know what to do with it and I've got to wait and it's like one more person in IT and I've got to wait another three months and something went wrong and we changed from Kubernetes 1.5.3 to this. So we've got a data lake and then Oracle did it. It's like building indexes and trying to plan oh, the building, most perfect. Oh, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a probably one unsolicited email every three weeks on we have this technique to index and automatically label thing and whatever. It's like, I don't believe in automating labeling. Goodbye. On top of it, we've done it. We think a better way in a platform. But so you've got this. I've got a lot of data and so on. For one project, um, we have uh, billions of points, um, and there are billions of points for about uh, 3 million customers. In other cases, we have 2,178 variables only. We got them over a period of, uh, I think, about 30 years or so. So it's a very different data set, and the stuff we do with that data is so uber-challenging from a big data point of view. Uh, not even fun. Um, in some cases, everybody has done a great job in organizing their data properly indexed, you know, with the right table and the join make the same. In other cases, people are just, this customer that I was talking about and whatever, the data arrive on a USB stick, literally on a stick. So we even had to have a joke, we have a 10 state pipeline on our architecture, so we came up with a zone minus one, the USB stick. Yeah. Uh -huh. But the results were good, so it doesn't matter. So I think there's a tendency to think about 
the size of my data dictates who I am. Now, I understand the internal dynamics in big corporation and so on, and you want to fight for the budget, and we've got all of those. But from a data science point of view, and, and I think our approach is the right approach, is you start with a small set of data that you think is the most relevant, and you come up with a tool that tells you, this is the area where if I had more data, I would do better. And that's the approach we take. The approach of architecture is to, to differentiate between the modeling techniques, the modelors, as we call them, and we use meta library compilers to do so, from the underlying data sets. And when a data set is binded, attached, operated upon by these modelors, by this pipeline, then the pipeline not only does its prediction, its classification, its next best action sets, its computation of the customer engagement, all the things that we say from a from a uh, uh, customer, uh, you know, that, that the customer, our customer is going to use, but it also identifies the quality at many different levels of the online data set and directs through analysis to say, if I get more data into the root cause of people calling into your call center. Or if I get more data on whether this repair was scheduled or not at the car dealer or not. Or if I get more data about are they booking this flight through a travel agency or through corporate. This level of information tell us where to go get the data next. There is the concept of minimal valuable product, which is fine in Silicon Valley, kind of suck if you sell in the enterprise environment, because the last thing you have if you're a large wireless operator is, is uh, having an MVP, it works, and the heck, what do I do with this now? So yeah. you know, the MVP doesn't work. We have, we have the concept of technology debt. You do something, you throw the code away, and what have you. We've taken those concepts and look at them around data. There is a concept of a data debt. If I have developed a model that relies on 0.1% from its output on something that consumes 20% of the IT budget for data curation and boarding and what have you, I am an idiot. <laughs> Strong word, I know. Um, but I am, not, I am not providing this with the best interest of the customer, which to me is the IQ test, this, the intelligence test that you might have. I know that the I word or might be uh, too pushy. But if 20% of the effort that you are imposing on the IT organization only moves the needle 0.1%, then it is your duty to say, I don't need it. Why? Because the same way there is technology debt, there is data debt. And data debt is really a pain. Because if you're in an environment where the tech stack changes from version this to that, and two years from now, the new board of director asks why the results moved the way they were and so on and so forth. As well, the software moved. And now, so the other, the auditability, the control, the enterprise wrappers around the technology are exist, but for data, they last for bloody ever. Because you want to know what was the data that was going on and so on. So every time you ask for data that you don't need, you are not giving the customer the right requirements. And so it's not as much the fancy 
uh, the fancy car that you're driving, whatever you, you're doing this and you're arriving in a pedestrian area where you cannot use your car anyway. So when you look at data, it's not the size that matters. It's what you're going to be able to do with it. And do you have the mechanism to, to go through it? And you can tell someone of a passion for this on that because I find it absolutely exhausting when I meet you know, some, some of my peers and others, but the size and so on. So of course, we have a table that shows for this customer, we do this, and for that customer, we do that. And you know, this customer needs this and so on. I understand data quality and what have you. One of our customers is the Bank of Canada. If you think that the Bank of Canada, which is a central bank, deals with data you know, in a, in a freewheeling uh, manner, I've got news for you. I mean, so, so we understand big size, we understand high curation, level of curations, and uh, but the worst thing to do is when someone says, what data, uh, what data uh, do you need? And the answer is all. It cannot be the answer. There's nothing in life where all, sorry, I shouldn't have said that because someone could, there are very, very few things in normal life or the life you and I are going to experience where all is the answer. You know, commitment to your significant other is yes. It's all or nothing. Got it. Yeah. Perfect. Binary. But yep. expect, you know, and and to, and to your family. but but for for so 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 you know, we, we go to customers, and 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 we've got these issues. And now there's an additional benefit about answering that way. First of all, you can only do this if you developed an architecture that allows you to say where data matters. If you develop an architecture where you can inject ingest different sources of data from different elements. So you have a lot of streaming, you know, streaming and batch, multiple sources connected and the like. So if you don't have that, and evidently we do have that, otherwise you know, we would not be doing what we do, is you have to have those capabilities. But you cannot, uh, there's an additional benefit if, if you put all these wrappers together is the IT department becomes your friend. I used to run the, uh, the, the, the IT and the engineering business when I was at PageNet. 250 customers, three satellite transponders, 47 switches, 3,000 transmitters, T1s and you know, up the wazoo's and whatever. I'm dating myself, yeah, there was something at T1, 1.544 megabit per second, and that was fast. And the, um, the, uh, IT, uh, the IT work, I got a lot of appreciation for it because when it doesn't work, everybody complains. And when it does work, everybody complains how expensive it is. So you deal with the IT, the, the IT work is, is one of the most uh, underappreciated uh, 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 departments inside corporations because they, they straddle this incompetent slash too expensive lines very, very carefully. And, and having run IT for a while, it really stuck to me that it's a hard job which is unappreciated. So the last thing we need to do is to have a potential roadblock by having the IT department either as a getting item, literally because we have so much to do on lakes and non-lakes and so on, or because we're asking them to provide a lot of data. So there is a human dimension and there is a go-to-market dimension benefit on top of everything else about engaging data with the care and engaging IT with the care and the respect it deserves. In addition to, if 2% of the data drives 30% of the quality of your output, that's what you curate. That's why you dive more. 
That's why you go to the marketers and say, you only have 18 fields of metadata for your marketing information. We think these are the six or seven more you should have. Start implementing them. Don't worry. As they roll out, we'll get there. Huh? Likewise, if you've got 20% of the data that provides 0.2% and you've moved the needle by five points already, then stop. So, Park it so, there. Go to something else. So your, your opinion is... is is very prescriptive in terms of what's needed. And it sounds like you're a simplicity person. You're like a, like a Steve Jobs. What would you say that? Uh, oh my sim- God. If, uh, if, uh, <laughs> when, when people from work are going to watch this and say, Alain was able to say complicity. The joke is with me is why do it complicated if you can do it very complicated? That being said, I will enjoy <laughs> I like things to be simple, but I'm a complicated person. Simplicity is the ultimate form of uh, perfection. I think is is what I totally agree. And and I love that you are going down that route, and just this whole conversation with the data on on the flash drive, and you know the the integration of IT. And I agree that IT is such a hard uh, business because you have these pie in the sky business leaders who are trying to do all this crazy stuff, and it's a lot of it's not validated. You have a cybersecurity now and all these different dimensions that it's just out of control. It, 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 it is, there's, there's a lot of value into this incremental approach. I mean, when, when all the data or all the relevant data gets in, we'll knock the socks off out of everybody and, and we've displaced existing players and technology. And um, so I feel very comfortable with there. But let's also look into the situation. You've got the companies that are that have bit the bullet, the big 500, Fortune 500 companies, the big banks, the automakers, uh, the airline industry, the hotels, and what have you. Some had already bit the bullet. They've done some efforts. So they've done a lot of investment. At times, it moved the needle. At times, it didn't. And now you're coming in as a new player. You have to be able to show results quite quickly. Because it's like, oh, we're dealing with those guys and those guys and those guys. Now you're coming and you've got like all committees. You know, it's like you know, quick wins. Yeah, yeah quick, wins. quick wins. So you need to have a quick wins because now you have to tuck yourself to existing decisions, existing systems. You know, we're not, we, we, we are decision and recommendations and next best action set creator, but we don't do the execution. So we have to interface with the execution engines, the uh, Oracle Marketing Cloud and Adobe and Salesforce and Dynamic 365 and so on and so forth. So those things exist. So if we show up and say it's going to take us a year to get something, good luck with that one. Yeah. Then there's another class of customers that have not yet done the investment. And so what we hear is uh, you need to have lots of data to be successful. And every other message is no. And let to show you why. But also is we want to get results quickly. Because if I show you with 20% of data that I can move the needle significantly, then you'll give me to the next stuff and what have you. Give we you did more some access. work for, for a, a, a dealer network in the UK. And we took their conversion rate for the sales of car by factor seven. Not 7%, 7x. On the sales of services plan, 6x. Not 6%, 6x. So at that point, the first reaction was, okay, this thing seems to work. For, for the, 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 the uh, bank, um, they gave us, uh, we only have like three years of data we can give you. Okay. We're in the customer journey based 
customer analytics, you know, that's kind of the basis because the customer journey is as customer centric as you're going to get. And as I discussed earlier, we measure things from the customer's perspective, from the consumer perspective. And their actions. They're not and, just and their, what and they're their actions doing. And touch points and, and uh, you know, phone calls. Every, every touch point that is recorded and that we can have access to for the for by the corporation is is game for us. So my so my earlier comment about hey I'm watching this HBO Go, but the uh, the, the the metaphor with or the analogy with but Disney hasn't come out. It's more like what websites have I gone to? Yeah. Um, what what am I what am I doing physically yeah. in that time? Got it. Yeah, and, and and so yeah, the interesting thing for me is I'm uh, uh, if Apple was selling bottled water, I think I would buy it. Um, so we're going to get the Apple uh, News Plus. I, I stayed away from the arcade because I don't understand what well, I'm too old to do video games. Uh, I just do a crossword puzzle on the iPad. But the uh, so I've got the Apple Plus thing, the Disney thing, which is really Marvel, which I've seen all of them, and Disney kind of. So yeah, so I'm going through the elements. You know, the, the interesting thing, it's very similar to uh, the, the big oligopoly interactions between Verizon and... Uh, uh, AT&T and uh, Sprint T-Mobile, you know, when someone does something and the other one and, and what have you. So, yep. with, with, by the way, there are some very interesting uh, things that can be done about uh, the introduction of a phone. What does it do for the competitor? So, the, you know, not only can you do customer journey, but the reason why we double, it's more than double in microeconomics as well, is because you can get these elements. So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see what happens. But your decision to renew HBO now or not, uh, is a commitment. At time, a commitment is a commitment to is a uh, unconditional commitment. In other cases, it's a conditional commitment because now you've got more things that are that are around. Um, but uh, so to go back to your customer journey, it says we have three years worth of data. Well, okay, and uh, we've got these fields, and we show the results, and we show the results. And what did we discover? Well, for the deployment, we can give you five years of data. Now, I don't think there was any mischief and what have you into saying three years when there was five years. It was probably and most likely the fact that it was more difficult to pull it out from a legacy system and you get the elements. Definitely. If we're taking our approach to say we want all the stuff, no, it's all of nothing, then we will have delayed stuff. But now because we move, the needle with the first implementation, and we say it can be better if we got this. And and right now this analysis is done right now, as in uh, uh, October two thousand nineteen. Uh, in first quarter next year, everything will be uh, two thousand twenty-three and automated. Is now the IT department is a hero because they say if they move the needle by so much, I can't say what the number is. By so much on on doing the upsell and the cross sell of credit cards and doing the upsell and cross sells of personal loan and now maybe starting to do in wealth management, by working myself a little more and so on and improving this, now I'm the hero. So now the justifications to bring other pieces of data are coming because people have seen it. So there is a virtuous circle, hopefully. Of you get the beginning of the data, you you produce the first result. And, and then you get more data on what I do. So success, credibility, and then you incur more success because you get more, more credibility. Ability. It's like a flywheel. It's a, it's a, it's a flywheel, hopefully not like the hamsters, but uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. And I uh, don't know why I went there. And uh, the, 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 one of the reasons 
uh, to kind of bring up about the, 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 the models we do and the like, we, 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 we have a measure of customer engagement. This is the, the so-called survey values. And if you go on the, on the web or on LinkedIn, you find the you know, comparison with Net Promoter Score and why it's better and so on. So from a customer perspective, we basically, uh, we, we measure and we express in the local currency, so in dollars uh, in North America, uh, or pesos, I should be full NAFTA compliant, um, uh, we express it in dollars. And um, uh, if you're going to buy a car, it kind of gives you a sense of how much you're going to be spending uh, for your next car. And it assigns a dollar amount for each one of the, 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 the touch points that you have. So the good marketing uh, communication uh, bumps the value that you're going to spend by 1000 bucks. A bad bright Jake is going to reduce it by $70 and so on and so forth. I'm looking at the portal right now. It looks like there's like a, like a buyer timing score and like a buyer index score. And there's all these yeah. lift components. All these lift components. So from a business point of view, we, this measure, which is intricate to compute, to put it mildly, uh, give you a sense of what you're going to spend on big purchases. And then for services, which says it's how much you're going to spend over the next year. So it's a, it's a uh, expected spend, expended financial commitment. Uh, and as I was saying earlier, uh, talk is good. But wallet is better as an indication of your of your commitments. I mean, uh, honey, I love you is worth that much. Uh, honey, I spend uh, ten thousand dollar on an engagement ring. <laughs> uh, 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 it works anyway. So, but millennials listening, don't get the wrong idea. Like, don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, uh, no. What the, yeah, you do whatever you want. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's you know, I'm, a, I'm an old man. But um, <laughs> so, uh, but from a from a data science point of view. What we have found is that the cerebri values, well, what we have found. What we have also architected with cerebri values, it's not that we put data and then a magic genie shows up. If you run it three times, you get three models. No, that's not the way it works. What we designed this also is to be a very strong indicator of uh, is the customer engaged or not, and what are we going to do later on. So there is this principle. Uh, this methodology uh, in in uh, in math, it started with matrices, you know, way before uh, machine learning came about, and then used a lot in machine learning reduction called principal component analysis (PCA). There are SVD that kind of do the same kind of thing, color the transform and the like. But at the end of the day, you take you take a matrix, you take a space, and you basically rotate it enough time in a multidimensional, and it says these things matters and these things don't. Uh, and this is where you see eigenvalues and eigenvalues. And lot, lots of interesting math. Uh, highly recommend uh, uh, for the millennials to go on Wikipedia and spend time on it. Um, what we found is the server value is almost kind of a PCA uh, for uh, the business engagement. And uh, because I'm shameless for using acronyms, it says it's a principal commitment analysis. We compute the, the survey value in all the uh, proof of concepts we have because you get a sense of this is an engaged customer, not engaged, we're likely to do it. So they are a very good predictor of whether the other business indicator related to your propensity to churn, your propensity to default, buy this, buy that, reaction to this offer, and so on and so forth. It's a very strong indicator. So it's early on. And what we're starting to discover, it even has some partial causality detection. So what we've seen in certain verticals is when the survey value cranks up, 
about six months afterward, there's actually a purchase. I mean, there's a difference between correlation and, caus and causality. In this mm -hmm. case, it's really causality. So um, the, the reason why we're doing this is because, uh, well, people have never seen it, so it's kind of new. You need something else. You see things going up and down. This event helped. This event did not, did not help. But it also allows us, from a data science point of view, to hone on the data you need in order to do all of the other models. And, and, it's, and so the, the, the first go around, uh, the flywheel, or the exercise wheel, if you are a hamster, uh, your choice, is, is to go to the CeraVe value computation because the engagement with the customer um, is, is the only thing you can get. Um, the interesting thing about it is it is a measure which is horizontal across an entire enterprise. Uh, if you're a car, if you, we do a lot of work in the automotive business, um, the service, uh, the showroom, the marketing messages, the SMS messages, uh, the thing you get in the mail, all these things are touched. So uh, if you are in the insurance business, we have an insurance, we're working with an insurance carrier, um, uh, getting my medical paid on time and my contributions and so on. So, so what's interesting about that, that, that number? Driving patterns probably now. Yeah, yeah, driving patterns uh, and is that it transcends a specific uh, PNL center or product line, uh, uh, which is interesting. But of course, the interesting, which is always the human dimension, um, is it crosses multiple PNLs, multiple vice presidents, multiple bonus pools, and the like. So one of the one of the most uh, challenging, uh, and it's a human challenging uh, element, is when we have the discussion with the big customers, and you've got these measures. We can measure, you know, you can measure NPS, but you cannot distribute NPS to marketing got 30% of the plus and 10% of the negatives and service got 60% and the local branch at the bank got this and so on and so forth. With that measure, you can. And you can imagine that those are a spirited discussion internally, what do we show? <laughs> and when we go with the customer, because now you have the ability to to assign, and anytime you can assign, you can control. Every time you can control, you can reward, and not uh, the activities, the interaction of the company with with the customer from the perspective of the customer. And this is where intuitive results and counterintuitive results are the most interesting to navigate through. When I was two months on the job, so I came just around Thanksgiving 2017. Um, I took a long one week off between jobs. So, wow. Anyway, and, um, and so uh, the, the team is flying to the UK to meet with a customer. This was before the platform was conceptualized. We were at that point data science first, not software plus data science coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, our CFO is in the plane and every two hours uh, calling from the plane, video conference call, on Zoom, where are we with the slide and so on and so forth? Um, uh, it, it was uh, uh, hysterical. I mean, it, was, it was absolutely hysterical to 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 do it because, like, I'm not 25 anymore. Why am I putting all nighters after all night? As we're working through it, and what we did is we looked into the impact that marketing messages for service were having on the sales of cars. So we do we we run through the stuff and what have you, and we see this scattergram of results. Some are up, some are down. And then we see, oh, there seems to be clustering of information every year. 
So one year after you bought the car, you've got certain effects and other years and whatever you, and in the UK, you have on a regular basis. Um, Smog uh, or something. Well, no, that's not that. It's like uh, one year you have to have an inspection, the second year you have an inspection, the same way here we have, here, here in the US, I shouldn't be centric. You have inspection for the quality of your exhaust. They have stricter, you know, uh, rules in the UK. So the, the, the one year cycle, you know, it appears as good. Well, we can explain where it's in circle. And we saw that there were a lot of cases where the communication of a service information decreased the propensity to go buy a car later on. I was like, this is really whack. So double click, double click, double click, which at this point is, can you do an SQL query on customer one, one, four, no, one, four, six, one, one, four, six. Okay. It's like, it's three. I'm don't yell at me. I'm not yelling at you. I just, oh, you're yelling at you. The fun thing when you're doing on the night where the CEO, the CFO marketing is going to the customer and we're counting the amount of time between where we're going to be ready and the stuff, you know, by hours and whatever you crazy. Should, yeah. But it's a startup. I love it. It's absolutely addictive, especially if you drink a uh, uh, diet, uh, sugar-free uh, monster drinks. <laughs> so we go through this and we double click, we double click, we double click. And by the way, at that point, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, black or white, man or woman. Uh, it, it's, it's like everybody is on the chase and it's fantastic. And we double click and it turns out that that person has bought a lemon. So they were being reminded that... Um, they had bought the car, but the wrong year or something. So we could find out why naturally those things could take place. And so what was a counterintuitive result became an intuitive result when we start double-clicking and what have you. And of course, we realized, you know, there'll need to be a drilling capability into our software platform because evidently the customer is not going to do SQL queries, blah, 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 blah. And those, 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 those are the moments that really kind of def define you know, where you're going and, and like, and, and where you need to have a powerful platform. Uh, thank God now, you know, it's running on software and getting uh, uh, all those elements through. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this, is, this, is what, this, this is when we discovered, first of all, that this approach was great. And as soon as we show the results, then the customer wants to know more. And he's willing to put more and he's willing to expand. So this virtuous circle is a very, very powerful one. And the customer has bought the platform and renew the platform and will renew the platform and so on and so forth. So this has been a magical journey, Elaine. This is, uh, I mean, just getting inside of your mind and understanding what this hyper rapid development team looks like. Um, I, I feel like now we have a color for what, how your teams are composed, the hiring. I mean, it's like a, a beautiful, uh, you know, symphony of different intellectual uh, curiosities and pursuits and dimensions, um, a ton of experience you're bringing to the table. Um, I'd love to, and I know we're going to have a, a couple minutes left here, and my, sure. my wife is going to have a, a midday Sunday hanging if I don't uh, <laughs> get get over to the family soon enough, so, <laughs> um, you know, just lastly, what you know, what what's something that you struggle with? Um, you know, in, in, you you have so many different pursuits, and obviously flexibility, and being dynamic, and thought, and curiosity, and all these different things. Um, it's like you're a sponge, and but you're also like a play-doh. You could be molded. You're, you're passing this these learnings on to your your colleagues and the culture there at Cerebri. Like, what's something that you struggle with? 
that's a good question. First of all, I, I, I like the fact that you bring the symphony thing. At a time, we've got instruments that don't are not totally aligned, but uh, we have a big drum section. So if something goes wrong, bum, 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 and, uh, you hit it. Us. Yeah. And, and I look at, at, at myself as an orchestrator. I am, uh, we take an inordinate amount of time and effort and process under hiring. Um, and a lot of people can say that with a lot of stages and what have you. Uh, the team we've hired is exceptional. My boss refuses to use the word we're lucky because he says we work so darn hard at it. So uh, here I said it and I did a disclaimer. So hopefully I don't get into trouble. But we work very hard at it. Uh, we realize we're not perfect and we're up. What I struggled with is um, resources. It's always short. Um, right now we are going through an adoption rate on the second version of our uh, release. Is, no, um, is, that, is this a personal? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking no, no, more. On the personal side. Okay. So on yeah. the personal side, um, on the personal side is making sure that to certain individuals or to certain areas of technology, I can provide value. Uh, I'm spread very, very thin. Uh, I'm a bad sleeper, so the advantage is I can bang out email at 3 a.m. when kind of so I wake up to see what's going on. So the struggle is uh, always adding value uh, and not burning out. Uh, it is easy, and, and folks who listen to this podcast might get a sense that I can get into things a lot, maybe a little too much. So being able to pull out uh, every now and again is 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 a good thing, um, but it's difficult because this is so much fun. Uh, I need to find the time to go uh, lose weight and exercise again. I need to get some of my defects, but that's neither here nor there. What what are uh, things? So a little work balance is is would be good, but it it's uh, this is so addictive. Uh, it's it's difficult to pull back. And what I'm struggling with is I want on one side to do the best to help my team. Uh, and on the other, I, I, I need like maybe more away from work hours. And, and is that, and how do you handle, how do you handle that? And I think a lot of people in, in your, Badly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are there, are there learnings you could share for things that you've discovered that help? You know, I mean, everyone gets into this. I, I, there's opportunities that are kind of hitting, banging on my door kind of daily too. And I, I'm always trying to assess, you know, my, am I, Am I psychotic? Am I working too much? Like, am I what do I what do I value? And like, what are some things that I think? By the way, I think being psychotic is a very underrated skill. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've got uh, ADHD and OCD and probably a bunch of other three and four letter acronyms. Um, so it doesn't bother me, except uh, if you don't have uh, your paper pad uh, 90 degrees off uh, the table at the office, I've got a walk around moving around, which I'm sure really annoys some. Um, the, the, the way I, I, I solve this is by getting into activities that are singularly insular in the, uh, insulating, uh, insular. So, uh, I, I listen to opera a lot. Uh, I found opera to be massively, uh, it transports me. Um, and, uh, uh, I even wrote a, article you know using opera kind of a background for data science um uh but the thing that insulates me the most and the like is writing i like writing 
I like uh, I write movie scripts. None of them have ever gone anywhere. And uh, one day, uh, something might go and what have you. And writing fiction uh, uh, is the way I put myself away because when you write, uh, nothing else matters. You have to, you know, you create your world and you have to go and it has to be consistent and the like. So that's the way uh, I, I unplug myself uh, the most uh, from, uh, from, from the world. What's your favorite uh, movie? If it, my, my, my favorite movie is Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and my favorite quote um, was even in another podcast. My favorite quote is from that movie. Um, uh, for those millennials uh, that have not seen it, it's worth doing it. And when you see all the people on the screen, these are not special effects. These are people. Yes, this is a cast of extra of 1,800 people in the desert. And there is a line where uh, T. Lawrence, um, uh, crossing the desert to uh, attack Aqaba uh, by the Red Sea from the back, and uh, one of his guys uh, falls from his camel and is working, and they discovered that uh, he has fallen and uh, he is being told uh, you cannot go back. In other words, back, it's, it's, you will die. I mean, there is no it's the bad side of this is the uh, super duper desert inside a desert inside a desert. And um, uh, T. Lawrence, uh, played by Peter O'Toole, says, no, he's going because he's my friend. And he goes, he goes, and goes. And uh, Omar Sharif tells him, no, it is written, it is written. You cannot go back. It is written, it is written. And he goes there, he's, he finds the guy, he comes back, you know, stuff, and he's tired, and he walks to the, it's all, you know, sand on his eyes, and he removes the stuff, and he can barely walk, and he's in the water, and he turns to Omar Sharif, and he says, nothing is written, and he collapses. And I saw this movie uh, in Paris, it was a giant screen growing up, and I remember the music, uh, Maurice Jardin, the music. And I remember that scene. And it is, to me, um, what life is all about. And you were asking about you know, what brings people in and the curry and so on and so forth. Because later on in the movie, Omar Sherry says, nothing is written unless you write it yourself. And I think life, 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 life work, work life, all aspect of this, your direct mind, everybody listening, nothing is written unless they're writing themselves. And that movie, uh, favorite movie, evidently uh, I've, got, uh, I've got, I think, nine books on the movie itself, which is just tells you a little crazy. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a philosophy uh, of uh, uh, you're a master of your own destiny. And if you don't think so, then you're wrong. And if you know what tools you need to make that you, for you to write your own destiny, then go get the tools. The availability of self-training tools, online tools, and so on and so forth. When, when I grew up going to grad school, you had to not be online. That was not legit. Now you've got classes online with Caldera and so on and so forth. Um, your ability to have an impact, to self-teach yourself, to be with others through meetups, through through Cora, I mean, you know, who asked their colleague what to go do if there's something wrong or whatever? You just call out a question and then take it from there. Or discussions or, like or, this. Yeah, or the Stack Overflow. I mean, the availability of uh, 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 of knowledge 
shared biovers is so tremendous that I think what was right uh, in, in that movie um, uh, was right in the 60s where it was done in the, in the 80s and 90s, my formative years as, as a professional and now. Nothing is written for you. You can really find all the information. And that's what I find absolutely fascinating. But the accumulation of skills, the accumulation of those capabilities, are always have to have a purpose, a business purpose or technology breakthrough purpose and whatever you, and your thinking creatively about it is, 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 is what matters. So acquire the tools and the skills and whatever you, but at the end, always figure out, you know, why am I doing this? What does it mean from the perspective of who I'm selling this to? I'm telling this to, I'm recontouring this to and the like. And, and I think from that perspective, if you're interested in data science or you're inspecting in, in, interesting in finding insights in, 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 in data that others have collected and so on, now is a fantastic, uh, is a fan, you know, this is not going to happen too many times in, in our careers. I mean, uh, Right now, it's data scientists. In 15 years from now, it's going to be people that are manipulating genes and CRISPR and so on and so forth and what have you. That will be their time. I don't know what comes thereafter. Uh, there's not been a Terminator movie about it, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Lawrence um, but, Arabia. But now, take full advantage of it. Lawrence of Arabia is a, a very nice transition, by the way. <laughs> okay, so last, last question. Um, if you could solve, and this could be very simple, um, it could be uh, anything you want it to be. If you, had, if you could have seven days and unlimited resources, what would you do? What would you solve? What problem? In, in, in data science or in, in the world in general? Anything. It could be you want to make the perfect rye bread because you don't enjoy the current. Anything that you want. One of, our, one of uh, the guests said that they would clean their house. So, so. Um, if uh, okay, so here it's a little uh, Christmas and a car wishful thinking kind of open question, but uh, I'll go for it. I would try to develop a way in which people with different perspective in society can go back and talk to one another and not consider someone who disagree with each other as enemy. It sounds maybe a little too goody to shoe and the like, but I think. We are throughout the Western world, especially, we are at a point where debates get amplified toward the bad side on the other so darn quickly. Um, my next door neighbor might be a hardcore Republican, Fox News watching, and I'm a hardcore liberal MSNBC when I'm not on Netflix watching. And if we were to talk about, you know, to be seen into these big surveys, you know, she's going to vote this and I'm going to vote that and so on and so forth. But when dealing with the car that has been beeping like every now and again, everybody's together. So when we talk to one another at the local level, things are okay. We can be different. We're not going to turn into enemies. But we've become so polarized by the abundance of reinforcing news and, and fake news or real news or groups and what have you that amplifies what's different between us. That what I'd like to figure out is find mechanisms and platform in which we reconnect. You know, a house divided among itself cannot stand, and there are many, many saying that we can go after. But it's genuinely scary to see the environment now. And this is, comes from a CTO of a company that I've done some politics, it was partisan politics, I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, and that is consumer-centric and what have you. We have now our our touch points of news. And soon, a touch point of history 
a perspective that are tailored around ourselves where what's common between me and others in my company from what they watch, what they see, what they perceive and stuff is so different that there's no reconnect. And I think it's really, really scary. Um, uh, you know, I'm not for censorship, but there's, I'm not for censorship, but. Uh, uh, th there have to be mechanism, uh, and maybe it's finding patterns on community and what have you. We know that the forces of the politicians, you always want to run against something. It's easier to say that's the enemy. Um, you know, it's easy to be against something. But in 1969, in July of 1969, in the middle of the night, my parents woke me up, I was in Normandy, and dragged me from the cottage we were renting all the way to downtown Lyon-sur-Mer in Calvados, where the debarkment of D-Day took place. And we saw on this small little TV, this man moving down, and you know, subtitle, of course, it was the landing on the moon. That was a moment in time where there was a common purpose into what we were doing. And the challenge I think now is there's no common thing. Even on something on climate change, it's cannot get done, what have you. There's, there's famines that come from the friction of, of, of systems not being optimized. Whatever. So this lack of commonality at a big enough of a scale, we were common against the communists, so there was a purpose and so on, is so missing now that what seems to be creating and defining our environment is the thing that divides us. So I'm not sure that seven days will do it. I'm sure it will be trillions of petabytes of petabytes of petabytes. <laughs> lots of data. Or some, lots of data and what have you. <laughs> but I, I think if, if I had to solve a problem, you know, world hunger can be solved, just move the people where the food is. This is relatively straightforward, not the other way around. But it's, it's reconnecting this digital humanity. And if we don't do it, um, then these big common goals are not going to take place. We're going to be confronted with gene modification of the wazoo. How do we handle it if we're not able to talk about our differences and not say the Democrats are enemies or the Republicans are fascists or you're socialists and so on? This labeling, I'm not going to go into the data science labeling, another podcast, but this, this is, if you want to understand why labeling is important in data science, just look what labeling does in real life. So reconnecting the thing in one week um, and lots of VMs and probably we'll need some GPU. Hopefully in Azure. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you have the one to make the commercial. Uh, we appreciate uh, Microsoft as an investor. <laughs> yeah. Elaine, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. This was really fun for me. Um, just really great yeah. getting inside your head and just listening to you um, talk about all these different things. What, what's a good way for folks to get a hold of you? Uh, well, uh, my LinkedIn profile has my email address, uh, and I think I use alanserbia.com. So find me through LinkedIn, um, or yeah, find me through LinkedIn. I think it's the it's the best method. I'm an I'm email centric, and uh, I um, try to uh, to uh, respond to everybody in reaching out, even if I have a no interest into what you're dealing with. I've been wrote a little. Uh, sentence on my uh, on my uh, iPhone and iPad and no go says that thank you for reaching out uh, I am not interested uh, good luck to you try to be polite so that's a good way to to get a hold of me and then uh, um, you know check out uh, our website uh, www.cerebriai.com to discover more about uh, what we do and um, let's take it from there beautiful thanks Elaine hey you enjoy the rest of your Sunday Will do. 
Thank you. Cheers. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.